Welcome to the John Chapman Show, where we talk about the path of a wealthy millennial, uncovering the truth about building and protecting your nest egg. Join us on this journey as we hear the stories of millennials and mentors alike to help you plan, manage, and protect your wealth. John is an employee of WorthPoint LLC. All opinions expressed by John and podcast guests are solely their own opinion and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of WorthPoint. This podcast should not be relied upon for investment decisions and is for informational purposes only. Oh my gosh. Hey, we're on air with Robert Clark. Wow. <laughs> that I, was a debacle. I'm thoroughly impressed. I, God did not make me to be an audio engineer. Thank goodness for that. Oh, we're actually recording. We're live. <clears throat> and today we're talking about disability insurance. Uh, that's not that. That doesn't, it okay. doesn't sound that, that great. That doesn't spark the audience no. curiosity. No. I know we, this is supposed to be entertaining first, educational second. There we go. Okay. So, um, before we get to disability insurance, we could talk about your life, you know, and do that whole story. You know, disability insurance might be more exciting in that oh, case. Dang it. All right. Um, <laughs> we're really excited to have you here. I appreciate it for the audience. Um, we're going to cover everything in wealth management and some of that is insurance. And I think it's easy to overlook disability insurance. I'm not sure why that is, or if you feel like you've got some insight within the industry, but certainly speaking as a financial planner, when I say insurance, I'm first thinking life insurance and I'm second thinking health insurance. Yep. And so I feel like in the, uh, you know, there's always a laundry list of action items for people to do. And it just seems like disability gets easily combed over, especially maybe for like a corporate employee. You know, they're going through their benefits, their their annual uh, review, and they're just clicking buttons. And so I wonder yep. if in there, you know, disability is an option that they are even aware of or not. So yep. I guess that's what we got to we got to hammer home for people. So it's on the front of the top of their mind. Absolutely. Yeah, <clears throat> it's a uh, it's it's a tough one and it's a hidden gem. I think the, the the exact reason I hate using the term disability insurance is because there's a stigma tied to it. Is there really one? I'm, I never think I'm going to become disabled. No one ever thinks they will. Um, and two, you know, certain insurance companies have a lot of mascots in this space, and the mascots tend to show up on TV commercials, and that is the first thing we think of when we think disability insurance. So they're like, yeah, if I break my arm, my world's not going to fall apart. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, maybe that's part of it is that you don't see it. You don't see it in a day to day and may not be because it's not top of mind. Like you see people pass away. And so it's easy to think about life insurance or things like that. People get sick, they need health insurance. So I wonder if it's maybe outside of people's view that they think, forget about it. I don't know. You, you, most disabilities that will take you down aren't visible to the naked eye. Okay. Right. Yeah. You're eating dinner next to these people when you go out to eat at restaurants. You're you're buying your groceries right next to these people. You're standing behind them in line. You have mm, no idea wow. what they're dealing with. Wow, that's really interesting. That's who disability insurance takes care of. Okay, we gotta go. We gotta go deep on this. But before we talk, actually, ins and outs, give us background. Why did you get into this industry? To begin with, um, you know, I the the running joke in insurance is I don't think anyone purposely gets into this industry. I just happen to live four houses down from from the owner that I work for today. <laughs> That's cool. My older sister married their youngest son, um, and they were looking for a somewhat uh, outgoing or outside sales person to yeah. to just meet and educate. And uh, I was I was voted in to be that person. Coming from the motocross world, I was like, I do not want to be an insurance. That's got to be the most boring thing you can do. And I ended up taking the job, 
kind of against my will. I just knew it was time to probably grow up. And I remember being in training at Peterson International and I'm just like understanding kind of where they fit and, and what the product that they're selling does. And I'm thinking, wow, my dad was diagnosed with cancer and he lived with cancer forever. And I remember him not working. I'm, I mean, I have to ask my mom if we ever used disability insurance because mm. now I guess I'm selling it. Dang. And met with my mom and she was like, oh my goodness. She's like, that is the only reason we have the house that that you were raised Super in. Super heavy. It kind of gives me chills hearing that. Yeah. And so I'm like, we're here seven years later. And and that from that moment on, I was like, you know what? There's a mission because I remember every single one of those years mm. of focusing on his recovery really and never once was it shoot you need to go find a job because we're we're falling apart over here wow that's amazing how the while your dad was going through that and while you were a young person not that you needed to know at the time but all of that was happening behind the place behind the scenes excuse me and then then you just fall into this career path and then it's such a real life example. Right. That's a really amazing story. I don't, I'm, I'm convinced nothing yeah. happens on accident. Yeah. Amen. Right? Yeah. You're right. Wow. That's pretty powerful. Yep. And so it's in it actually it, it's uh, it's cool to have somebody that's in the industry that can speak from personal experience too, because you're more of the, what's uh, I'm going to forget it. You're more of a, a missionary, not a mercenary, you know, you're not hired yep. in to help, but you actually have lived this. You I know? love that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, absolutely true. Yeah. Uh, we need to pause though. Um, motocross, how did that work? Tell me about the motocross background. Yeah. So I, uh, we're in Southern California. I grew up in a part of so SoCal called Valencia and it's kind of a motocross capital of Southern California. I mean, other than like Temecula and you have some of those areas. Um, so when we moved there and I saw every kid riding, you know, a little dirt bike up and down the street, while they're learning how to walk, I'm like, that is too cool. I yeah. need yeah. to ride a motorcycle. Yeah, that's cool. And so, you you know, I'm, I've always been into cars and things like that. And so from so, as soon as, as early as I can remember, I was like, I, I want a motorcycle. I love it. My that's mom, cool. my mom hated it. <laughs> of course. Every mom would. Yep. Yeah. Right, do you still ride? Um, I have a bike. I ride probably once a year. So yeah, just enough to, to, to own it. Yeah. Yeah. Good for you. Okay. So now you're actually in the career. You're at Peterson International. Give us uh, an understanding of like, uh, where does Peterson fit into the you know marketplace in terms of who they're providing services to? Yep, absolutely. So um, <clears throat> there's, there's many layers to disability insurance. Disability insurance is kind of a niche. Peterson International is a niche of the niche. So we are what is known as a Lloyd's of London cover holder. That basically means all of our policies are backed by Lloyd's of London. They need to be because they're really one-off and kind of high-profile cases. Um, but we have power of the pen to write those cases um, in the United States. Now, who are most of our end users? They are the um, highly professional individuals who have very unique needs when it comes to protecting their income and the, that would be athletes celebrities um, high income professionals so equity partners in law firms uh, surgeons dentists you name it anyone 
kind of in that higher income segment or just really unique forms of compensation like publicly uh, mm. uh, executives of publicly traded corporations mm. yeah restricted stock unit compensation things like that when when it's just not your bread and butter yeah. income yeah. that's where we step in so let's maybe go from bottom up let's just let's start with a regular corporate employee maybe maybe a small business owner but corporate employee might be easiest and then let's work our way up to the highly compensated individual for a second so let's say that um, you know $100,000 a year in salary and you're going through your annual enrollment and you're going through your benefits what's the cookie cut that most employees at a large firm, you know, are going to have access to. How much of their paycheck is the disability insurance going to cover, and what are the uh, what are the the switches that have to be flipped to qualify for the disability insurance? Yep, absolutely. So, so most employees get to uh, get access to a group long term disability policy. Um, they generally cover sixty percent of that person's income. Um, sometimes it's a taxable benefit. Sometimes it's a tax-free benefit. Those are a couple different levers. Um, and there's always going to be a monthly benefit cap that can either be $5,000 a month, $10,000 a month. So, um, that's where we see a, a, a supplemental need for certain high income individuals. But for your, uh, employee that's earning a hundred thousand dollars a year, there's no unique forms of compensation in that it's, you know, salary only or maybe salary and a bonus. Uh, the group LTD contract is going to serve well for that person. It's very low cost. Yeah. Um, they do not need to prove themselves medically to qualify. So yep. it's, you know, underwritten based on the group. So let's talk about taxes and then let's talk about the uh, setting of the cap. So who's in charge of determining whether the, the, the premiums are being paid pre-tax or after tax? That would be up to the employer's discretion. Okay. So it's the employer negotiating with the benefits group on what the long-term disability is. Correct. Okay. Got yep. it. So the employees, that's not their decision. They just get what they get. Sometimes the employer can pass on that option to the employee, mm -hmm. but you know, if, if you have 50 to a hundred employees and, you know, I, and I say that caliber because usually their, their benefit admin system isn't quite big company scale, but they're starting to get to that point. You've just given out, you know, 50 to a hundred different options to come back. So when you're sell, setting up payroll and you have John who wants tax-free and, and you have Beth who does not, you know, wants taxable. It's sure. just like, it's a lot to handle. Yeah. Yeah. But let's say rule of thumbs on that. So, uh, you know, if you are paying the premiums with pre-tax dollars, then your benefits are taxable and exactly. vice versa. Exactly. If you pay with after-tax dollars, then it's tax-free. Spot on. Is there a, what, what's, what's more common for just large corporations? Um, that's an interesting question. Um, I see tax-free as more common, okay. but that's because I'm in the individual space. So most of the companies that I get to work with okay. really invest into their disability insurance programs. Okay. And so they're willing to go post-tax okay. for tax-free benefits. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, all right, so then um, the cap. So that sounds like that's that's based on, you know, the probably negotiated cost for what the premium is of what's your, you know, 60% up to a dollar amount cap. Yep. So is there any rule of thumb that you think about there or any standards for yeah. just, again, a regular corporate employee? Yeah, so... Um, the the caps are usually set from the group LTD insurance carrier. Mm -hmm. So they're looking at everyone's income in the company and okay. they're finding kind of like a median number that Got makes it. sense. Yeah. 
But what's interesting is the higher that cap is, the more um, the more volatile the the rate yes. for that long term disability insurance totally. will be. Yeah. Because if you have someone with a high income going on claim, that's that's a large loss compared yeah. to the rest of the employees. Um, if if you are an employee and you're looking at your group LTD and you're thinking, okay, how do I know if this is enough? How do I know how much it covers? There's a really easy rule of thumb. Okay. That is if you have a 60% income replacement plan mm-hmm. on your group LTD, you take the monthly benefit, you double it and add a zero, and that's how much income it covers. So walk us through a real life example of that. So if the group LTD cap is 60% to $10,000 a month, you would double the 10,000, mm-hmm. 20,000, you add a zero, 200,000. That means a $10,000 a month benefit cap covers up to $200,000 of income. Man, I love it. Do you? I mean, I love that we're getting nitty gritty. <laughs> I want the framework. I, I want thought, the rule of thumb. I thought we were supposed to be entertaining first. I don't feel like this is that entertaining. <laughs> Anyone that wanted to listen's already dropped off. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's go now. We've talked about kind of your bread and butter for just a corporate employee. So let's talk about the fun stuff. So people that are highly compensated, d- define for me a dollar amount of income where it starts to get where you, you really need a specialized policy. Yeah, I, I would say that most disability insurance carriers become heavily maxed out around $500,000 of earnings. Okay. All right. So, I mean, any corporate executives, like you said, any, um, you know, equity owners in a small business or attorneys or something like that, surgeons or doctors, like they likely will have income that's just, that surpasses that. Right. So that's when it sounds like someone like you guys would get involved. So maybe if you can think to a case that you've been on recently where, you know, the, describe the individual where they were working, what type of regular income they had, and, you know, how did, uh, how did you guys fit into this as a solution? Not that you had to be the perfect solution per se, but like, how would you guys get involved? Yeah. I mean, um, I have so many different case studies. I, I'll, you know, it's, it's hard to even be say one that might be relevant because they're all so unique. Okay. Maybe, uh, maybe two different ones. Yeah. Yeah. We, we had one, um, equity partner that, uh, had $1.3 million of distributions, uh, from the last taxable year. Her, her coverage in force was, I believe $35,000 a month. That was what she already had uh, through the employer, uh, through the law firm. And so that covers $700,000 of income. So now there's a deficit. She needs another $35,000 a month. We go in, uh, we look at that plan. We we always wanna, you know, people shouldn't buy disability insurance just because they can qualify for more. There has to be a need, Mm -hmm. right? So in this case, someone's taking home $70,000 a month of compensation. Well, realistically, and especially with the financial advisor's point of view, we have to think of, okay, what plans are we contributing to? What, what are the expenses, right? What's mm-hmm. you know the mortgage or the rent and all those type of expenses? And then what other qualified, non-qualified things are we contributing to? Mm-hmm. What are really the key goals at hand? Hmm. Because that's... You know, any deficit that we find there, 
that's the exposure. That sounds like a planning conversation. That makes me excited. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. that's cool. Yeah, so it's not a one-size-fits-all, and it's not just a hammer and a nail. So right. it sounds like this can get really specialized. Yes, Yeah. absolutely. Because, yeah. you know, and, and like to speak to another side of it, we've, we deal with a lot of high-income surgeons, hmm. but their exposure after we, you know, really sit down and, and get to know what they're after, their exposure isn't necessarily their personal income. Maybe there's other partners in the practice and um, their income can be covered or subsidized or their workload can be taken care of and they still earn a distribution. Mm. But hey, what happens about taking care of some of the employees and assistants that they have in that office if they were to be out on disability? Um, what happens to all of the overhead expenses, right? I had one case that we were brought in afterwards. A surgeon had been disabled for about six months. He returned to work, and the uh, remaining partners had to pass him a bill for $210,000. Ouch. I don't, you know, and and uh, I realize that most people in this position have a few million set aside, and, you know, they can pay the bill. It's not a matter of wiping them out and they're claiming bankruptcy. It just changes the course of their yeah, financial targets. Yeah, yeah, that's really that's a really interesting case and a good example. Uh, talk to me a little bit about underwriting process um, because I imagine, again, that can get really unique and like I need some basic working definition of what disability means and maybe there's you know different types there. So I guess first just define like how is the insurance company going to define disabled, uh, being disabled and, um, and then what the underwriting process is like. We are digging in to all of the fun aspects. Come on, I mean, <laughs> you're here. <laughs> if, that's right. I love this. I absolutely love this. So what an underwriter is looking for when they look at someone as a potential purchaser of disability insurance, they're looking for one, earned income. So is the income reliant on that person's ability to work, right? If they're a silent partner in a business, that is not compensation that can be protected by a disability insurance contract because it doesn't matter if that person shows up to work or not. So that's that's the first and foremost. Two, you know, are they an executive or are they an underwater welder? So we need to underwrite certain aspects of what's their risk as far as their daily occupation. And then three is, of course, their their actual current health, hmm. what pre-existing health concerns may they have been dealing with, um, you know, or, or what family issues have occurred in the past. Like, you know, my dad passing away of cancer, I have to mark that on most insurance applications that, yeah. that for the policies that I bought. Yeah. Um, and so those are things that underwriters look at. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, at, at, at what point after somebody has had a high income, let's say, you know, you go from the big law firm in, um, in New York City and then you moved here to California and you're in L.A. And now you're now you get promoted or you buy in, you become a partner somewhere and you're an equity owner and your your income jumps up significantly. You know, are there how immediate is it that somebody needs to fill this gap need? 
from from their eyes or from the planner's eyes? Yeah, well, I guess how 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 often do you guys get involved? Um, you know, when somebody is highly compensated, after how many tax returns or so forth does it take for somebody to really say like oh, I should probably get this? I mean, arguably, John, no one ever says it. <laughs> no you one. say it. Yeah, I say it. I say it. But we're you know we're just not thinking about this now. If if it's a firm that already has invested into their income protection program and and that's something that's already in place, then that new equity partner can usually jump onto their programs within a month to three months. Um, but if it's just Joe who happened to land a new gig and he got promoted and now his salary is double of what he used to earn, not once is Joe saying, man, I really need to protect this income ASAP. (laughs) Not a lot of inbound phone calls that you get. Right. No. (laughs) No. And 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 usually that's that's a pretty telltale sign that. That's funny. If someone is asking for disability insurance, they're Mm. calling to to see Mm -hmm. if they can Mm -hmm. get it. Mm -hmm. It's too late. Mm. The reason they're calling around for that is because they've got the bad news. Oh shoot! Yeah, totally. And so, and that's what I try and prevent. Yeah. No one likes talking about disability insurance, Fair. but I have to give everyone the right of refusal. Mm-hmm. That's a great point. Yeah. That's the, the only way it comes up. So if uh, who who else, do, you know, part of whose responsibility is this or whose shoulder does it fall on? I imagine like all the financial advisors out there, this is incumbent upon them. Um, but, uh, you know, HR too. But like who do you usually see that's banging the drum on your behalf to educate people? Yeah, it it's whoever is the fiduciary at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. So some, some uh, lean more on their planners for these recommendations. And some don't have any financial advisors. And so a lot of those programs are really pushed through human resources um, or, or other benefits teams provided from an employer's standpoint. Um, as far as who I hear it coming from the most, I definitely hear it from the advisor community. However, it's usually a, hey, do you want disability insurance? No? Okay. We won't talk about that. Here's <laughs> it's the soft no. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, That's which sad. That's true. Very true. But yeah, we we need more disability insurance fans. If you want to join the disability insurance team, <laughs> yeah. We're, we're accepting applications. <laughs> That's cool. Um, all right. Well, we, we've actually covered quite a bit in a short period of time, but um, is there anything else that you feel like um, a story that you'd like to share or maybe just some items that you feel like haven't been talked about yet today that, that might be important for people to hear? Yeah. You know, I, for me, it always comes back to my experience because I feel like the, the experience that I grew up with as a kid, with my dad battling cancer, with being in and out of work, um, it was so straining on our family. Mm. But all the so my mom, my sister, and I, we were such a team focused on getting my dad healthy and enjoying the moments that he was back to normal for that little bit. And I think had we been worried about money at the same time, oh man our attention would not have been on my dad. It would have been on so heavy. How do I get by till tomorrow Mm -hmm. or next month? Mm -hmm. And so I, you know, I, I get it. Some people go without disability insurance because you know, whatever they, they think it'll never happen to them. Whatever the case is, 
buying disability insurance is not a money move. Buying disability insurance is a family move because it allows you, it is your tool to be focused on family, health, and well-being should you ever need it and not money. Preach it, man. Yeah. Um, That's great. I appreciate you sharing all that. it's, I, I love talking about it. I love educating people. That is my first and foremost. And so I yeah. appreciate the opportunity. Where can people find out more about you or follow your stuff? Um, I, I try to be on LinkedIn. Um, some weeks it gets away from me, but you can search me, Robert Clark. Um, tagline is the hardworking millennial. I think I might have to change that, though I'm getting kind of tired of it. Uh, I'm on Instagram as the income advisor because I talk about income and protection. Uh, Yeah, those are probably the best ways to find me. Robert, thanks for being here, man. It's fun. Always a pleasure, John. Thanks for tuning in to The John Chapman Show. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Spotify. We encourage your questions, comments, and feedback. For additional information, check out thejohnchapmanshow.com or look for John on LinkedIn and Twitter. See you next week.